well, I think a lot of people, because it's safer and it makes more sense is when your pockets are saying you can't, we don't even try because we're like, we can't. It's true. Right? 100%. It's easier to just be like, well, this is what I want, but like, this is my fucking situation. So this is the situation I'm going to continue to live in because pushing past that, that's hard, right? It's so hard. That's why I think it was really circumstantial for me is like, I literally started a business in my bedroom when I had zero expenses. Like that's such a rare time. Like, and I had a few thousand dollars saved up for us weekly, whatever, but I didn't have any expenses, like nothing. Like I literally was like making money and not spending it at all. Hey guys, welcome to the Power and Persistence podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Blois, business owner, mentor, self-care advocate, manifester, wife, and mama of two. This podcast is designed to make you feel seen and inspired. Join me for honest and raw conversations with successful women and purpose-driven entrepreneurs. We'll explore how they imperfectly but persistently juggle career, family, and relationships, all while honoring their authentic selves. Let's dive in. Today is such a fun episode. I'm so excited to have Emily Blair here from Emily Blair Media. Emily's an incredible story. She owns a PR company. She got started at a young age in the industry. And we're going to get to talk to you and learn all about how you started, how you transitioned, and how, you know, so young in life, where I feel a lot of people don't know what they want and they don't know what to be focused on, you knew. You knew what your passion was and you went after it. And I love that. So why don't you give us a little bit background about your start? Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Gosh, where do I begin? I I feel like nothing about my story is traditional and have like a traditional high school experience, college experience, like nothing. And I think that's why I kind of landed where I did. God, I so want the Cliff Notes what? version or like the full thing? The full thing. So why wasn't high school traditional? I like was never into like going to parties and like having red cups. Whenever like my idea of fun in high school was like literally going to the Chateau Marmont and having a $10 dessert, but just like dressing up and like being where like people in their 20s were yeah. like having fun, like adults. Like I just wanted to be like an adult so badly. Like I was not interested in like vaping at a house party in Thousand Oaks. That was just like not my vibe. It was not my thing. Never was hard as I tried. And so that's literally how I fell into this world so young is I remember really vividly, like my friend Emma, we were at the shots in Vermont. Like, I don't know what business we had there, how we got in, whatever. And we're literally eating this dessert. That's probably nine or $10 like at the bar. And I saw like a bunch of flashing lights as we were leaving. And I realized it was Cameron Diaz. And I tweeted, oh my God, just saw Cameron Diaz back in the days when like Twitter was like a safe space. So how old are um, you at the point? Oh my God. Like how 16? Old? Yeah, I couldn't have been more than 16 or 17. I was about to be a senior in high school. And a reporter at Us Weekly found my tweet. Oh. And because like when you search in Twitter, like, saw Justin Bieber or walked by Justin Bieber or like something like that. Like all these things pop up. I learned this when I was a reporter about like star sightings. And that's how like you can see if a celebrity is on a date or if like a celebrity is in this airport. That's kind of how like they rely on people on Twitter to like tell them. It's kind of like how Twitter broke the story of that plane that landed in the Hudson. There was no media outlet that took that picture. Like the first picture of the plane that solely landed on the Hudson River was from Twitter. So like Twitter was like 
that's their alert. Okay. Yeah. And so she found my tweet. She was like already working on a story about Cameron Diaz, just as fate would have it. And she asked me for like details about seeing her. I gave this girl effing thesis paper, every detail down to like what Cameron Diaz smelled like, what she said, what she was doing, what she was wearing, everything. So it turned out it was like her bachelorette party or something like she was about to get married. And so every single freaking detail you can imagine. And then at the end, I was like, by the way, if you ever need anything at all, literally like you need help tying your shoe. I don't care. Like I am your girl. And she like really took that to heart. And she let me basically like intern for her off the record, like unofficially throughout my senior year and throughout my first year of college. And in college, I literally like had an iPad glued to my body. Like it was my firstborn child. Like I would be at a frat party and Marissa, that's her name, would text me like, hey, like I'm at the Emmys. Can you transcribe this? I would go in the frat bathroom and transcribe on my iPad. Like the answer was always yes. And I did that. It was crazy. Yes. I tell people like the answers are, yeah, make it work. Like you never yeah. know when your foot in the door moment is going to come. Like working for us weekly isn't really a job that you can apply for on Indeed. Like you will never see on Indeed or LinkedIn, like e-news. You just won't. You literally won't. It's like a business that you have to know people and you have to like just be in, in the circle. And like I just landed there by fate. And I did that really unofficially for her for free for a year and a half. And then eventually I transferred to a college closer to to the office that Us Weekly had in Wilshire Boulevard. And I was, hey, I'm in your town. Like, can I officially work for Us Weekly? And I remember when I got the internship because she's like, yeah, like the editorial assistant will like, like she'll email you to set up an interview. I'm like, okay, great. So I knew I got it when the interview was literally like, what's your favorite TV show? What's your favorite article that we had this month? It was like nothing about like my credits. Like they already, it was like already in the bag. I could just tell I like, my resume was put at the top of this girl's desk and she had to interview me to like say that they did. Protocol. And so got the interview, surprise, got the job. And I like was there for four years and it was a roller coaster for sure. When I was an intern there, I like officially got an internship when I was a sophomore in college and I was there until just after I graduated. Yeah. Okay. Did you stay in school? Did you? Oh, finish? yeah. Anna Montana walked so I could run. That's awesome. So what did you study? So I did my freshman year at UC Davis. Okay. And, um, oh, you weren't close at all. Oh, I yeah, no. I My dad made me go to UC Davis because it had a UC in front of it. And I swear to God, like I was committed to Cal Poly slow for journalism. So excited over the moon. He's like, you're not going to slow. Like I got off the wait list at Davis and he's like, you're going straight to Cowtown, Sacramento. Like you have no choice in the matter. And I went along with it. And I was miserable. And like, I literally applied to transfer to Chapman and didn't tell anyone in my family. I like called up my, um, the guy who helped me with my essays in high school. I was like, Hey, Robert, need your help. Like, just I'll Venmo you. It's fine. And I just like did it on my own. And then I remember I came home for like, I think it was a Jewish holiday in the spring. And I was like, Hey, so I applied to Chapman, got in. Can we talk about it? And I like convinced my mom to like let me transfer there. So I was so miserable at Davis. Like Davis is, I don't know if you've been there or like know anyone there. So like I went to Chico State. You did? Okay. Well, then maybe you get it. Cause like I literally tell people like Davis is a town that you like drive through on the way to like Tahoe to go to the bathroom. And you're like, oh, this is cute. Like for other people, it feels like Gilmore Girls. Like, but it's like for other people. I lived there for nine months. And I was just so one thing about you is I, like you have an intuitive feeling and that's it and you follow it. 
right? Like if you were trying to be someone you weren't in high school, you would never have been at that bar eating that dessert, seeing yeah. Cameron Diaz. It was That's because you people. allowed yourself to be who you are. And that takes some people so long, right? Yeah. No, it's I, such a good point. Yeah, I never thought about I was that. never in high school being, I was trying to fit in 100%. I mean, me too. I wanted to be cool so badly. Like when I got to Davis, like the only thing I wanted to do was be an alpha fee, like my mom. That was the, my only goal in life was to be in a sorority. Like I would have like given you my left toe if it meant that I would automatically get in a sorority. And I had the most awful rush experience ever. I ended up dropping out like in the middle. I ended up joining a sorority later on. Didn't really like it. It wasn't all that it was made to be, but it, freshman year, it's all I wanted. And I think about that now. I'm like, I had gotten into a great sorority, loved it. I would never have transferred. I would never have got the position at Us Weekly like more full time. I would have stayed there. I would have finished at Davis and who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes rejection really is protection or redirection. Love that. Yeah. So it's, it's hard. Rejection to me, I think is one of the, the most painful things to experience, but to trust it and allow it to redirect you, you usually end up somewhere way better. And then you look back and you're like, I get it. And it it's makes you tougher. It's like, there's mm-hmm. nothing that I can't survive. Even as like, I think like sorority rush when you're 18 is literally like the biggest deal in the history of America. It, it just stages of life, what you go through and like yeah. how you get through it change, yeah. but it just makes you more resilient. Yeah. I think if you allow it to, right? Like yeah. if you allow yourself to feel it, honor it and keep going, 100%. which I think, you know, Shows a really strong person. I think that's awesome. So now take us your at us weekly. So why was it a roller coaster? And what kind of were your duties? Like what did you do? Because you for four years, you stayed there a long time. Yeah. It was crazy. When I was an intern, I was an intern for like maybe three to six months. And then I stayed on freelance. And then Us Weekly got purchased by another publishing house. They fired everybody except for the editorial assistant, who I'm so close with. And I just kept freelancing and then eventually they were rehiring out in LA and then I was part-time and then full-time. And so it was really just writing. You were I was writing. writing and reporting. So during the day I was literally writing eight stories a day. Like I was robotic. Like I could write a 250 word story about Haley Bieber in 10 minutes if you wanted me to. And um, then at night, which is the most fun part ever, I was doing events coverage. And like the first time I was like my, literally my second day of the internship, they're like, Hey, this is us, new show. It's premiering. Vanity Fair is having a premiere party. Can you go cover it? Do the red carpet interviews? I'm like, sure. How do I do that? And they're like, oh, just ask them questions about the show, their love, like whatever. I'm like, how do I interview people? Like, I don't know how to do that. And they're like, yeah, just like figure it out. I was like thrown in. I literally brought a pamphlet that looks like a manuscript of my first novel to this red carpet with like Mandy Moore. 14,000 questions because Us Weekly has like an ideal interview list. Like if you get someone for like 25 minutes, here's what you should ask them. Ideally on like a red carpet, you get someone for maybe 37 seconds if you're lucky. I just had no idea what to do. And so like the reporter circle on the red carpet, it's like you're really, really close to other reporters. It's Uh Us Weekly, People, E! News, Entertainment Tonight. Like we're all like a lineup. And um, I would just watch other people do it. Like I got to this event and I'm like, what do I do? And like, I saw people being like, Mandy Moore, like, you make it. Fake it till you make it. Like, my first interview was probably absolute shit. Like, I was probably asking them, like, are you excited to be here tonight? And like, 
stupid things that like no reader would ever learn. And like years later, I became a very skilled interviewer. Like my secret sauce was like word manipulation. Like I can get you to tell me anything. And then you'd be like, wait, what? And then it would be like a headline or it would be like, I would break a story accidentally. But like, I'm never asking you, are you excited to be here tonight? If I have like 20 seconds with you. But it took me a while. Like my first red carpet was like a Vanity Fair party when This Is Us was premiering. Like, what? Like, why would you send like an 18 year old there? But they did. <laughs> That's awesome. So how did you learn how to become an interviewer? Is it by being on the job? Are you watching other people? Exposure, trial and error? Is there yeah. a way to actually study that craft? There, it's like a little bit of everything. I'm sure you can. I'm sure there's like, I know a lot of reporter friends of mine now like have like master classes and stuff, but that wasn't like cool back then. And so I would just listen to like the girls in the office do it. Like Carly, um, who was the editorial assistant and then she kept climbing through the ranks. She's now in entertainment tonight. She was incredible at it. Like you just became like, I would hear her talk to these celebrities and like they'd become her best friend. They were so comfortable with her that they would accidentally spill such salacious details about their sex lives. They would tell her all about their kids. Like they would just give her such fun bits because they uh-huh. really liked her. And uh-huh. so I think just that likability and like that relatability and making someone feel comfortable and like easing into it. But it's different. Sometimes you literally have 20 seconds and like there's Emma Stone. Like, what are you going to ask her? And then other times they're like, hey, we're going to give you so-and-so from The Bachelor. You have 15 minutes so you can plan a little bit better. And so, I mean, I've done every event you can imagine. I've done red carpet premieres. I've done the Oscars. I've done like everything. And so it just like, Every situation is really different. I've done house calls. Like I've gone to people's houses and like, like talked to their kids and like profiled them, like craziest stuff. And like, it just, you play it different every time. I'm sure we could have a whole episode on just like, tell me stories about. Oh my God. I had a podcast about it. I like during COVID, I was like my best friend at the time. We created a podcast about the behind the scenes of red carpet life. It didn't last very long. We like maybe released like 15 episodes and then she took it over. But it was like, we were just like, these stories are absolutely sociopathic and like no one understands. Like you pick up an article, you read it for 30 seconds and it's over and that's your life. And like, that yeah. was like, our life was to create that content. And it was like a whole other world. Barstool is like maybe going to pick it up. Like it was, we were having like all these conversations and like, that's when my business was taking off. So I just really kind of invest in it. But like the early episodes are funny. because it's just like, you just, people don't know. Like you just idolize these people you see on television and you, when you strip them down, it's like insane. Okay. I love that. I have like a million questions I can ask you about that, but (laughs) let me ask you this. So you're young, you're thrown to the red carpet. We already talked about faking it till you make it. Cause absolutely a fake ID. Like publicists knew that I was young. Like some of them, they're like, go around the back. Like, cause I couldn't get into some of these clubs that these events were at. I'm like, Hey, no one, no one freaking knew. So I love that. I mean, you, did you struggle with imposter syndrome? Have you ever struggled with imposter syndrome? I have a master's degree in imposter syndrome. Like I wake up every day and I'm like, because the the line ends with me. Like especially with what I do now, girls. If girls on my team are like, "Hey, what what do we do if this happens?" I'm like, I don't know. Like my gut feeling is the last of the line. So yeah, I have crazy imposter syndrome for sure. So okay, so you were at Us Weekly for four years. Let's talk about what you're doing now. Then, yeah, what was that transition? How did you decide to leave? Yeah. So around. Long story short, I got crazy burnout when I was a senior in college. I mean, they were working me like a dog. Like I started not to love it. And I started to like resent waking up every day and doing it. Like I remember really vividly the day that broke me. I was um, basically the night before I was covering an event for The Bachelor, which is always like 
great because I get so much material, but it's also like four hours of interviews that I have to like go through and transcribe. And so the next morning, they wanted me to do like an interview for this other girl from The Bachelor who just moved into this gorgeous beach house in Laguna with her boyfriend and do like a whole thing, a whole photo shoot, like interview her family, whatever. And then I had to write all day and then cover another event that night. So basically, I was like trying to time back my day. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to this event in El Segundo for The Bachelor. I'm going to drive to my cousin's house in Orange County, sleep there, transcribe everything, try to go to bed by 2 a.m., wake up at 5, get ready, go to this girl's house, drive to a coffee shop, write for eight hours, drive home, go to another event, and then try to make my mom's birthday dinner. It was like not a real day. And I was just, this is actually crazy. Like they're so short staffed. They're making me like do everything. Most people who are writers aren't reporters. And I was being split between both teams. And it was just like, I started not to love it anymore. And I realized like I'm about to graduate. What happens next? And so I realized I liked being freelance a lot more because I have the flexibility. Like when I was freelance for like a few months, I can pick and choose my events. I was paid well. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, well, what happens next? Like maybe I go to grad school. I don't know. I'm like about to graduate. I'm like 22 or oh, 20. So young. So young. Oh, and I was like, this can't be it. I was like, I'm on the red carpet next to people who are like 40. Like, I don't know if that's for me. And so I gave them a four weeks notice. I was like, I didn't want to like scramble. I was like, if you need someone else, like, I will be here until you find like what happens next for you. That's a big company too. You really want to leave on good terms. A hundred percent, especially because I knew I was going to do PR. Everybody I work with, which we'll get to is like people I used to work for. It's crazy. These worlds are so, you can't burn any bridges. And I was like, I'll be here as long as you need me. I'm just letting you know that like, it's not really for me anymore. And I already knew like one of my friends who was freelance was really, really vying for a full-time job. So I knew that I kind of had a feeling what was going to happen, but I let them know. And then my major, my major at Chapman was strategic and corporate communication, which basically translates to crisis management. And so at the time I was like, I think I want to do like really big, like corporate crisis management PR. And my plan was to quit us weekly and take a year and study called the GRE that you Uh need for like your master's degree and like try to get my master's in PR at USC. And so (laughs) then the pandemic happened, which kind of switched everything around. But when I tell people the story of like why I like doing PR and like I tell this to my staff all the time, I tell this to people when I close, it's just hilarious. But like, I'm sure if my team's listening to this right now, they know exactly what I'm going to say. What I think about all the time and the reason why I was obsessed with risk and crisis management, like when I took those classes in college was because, do you remember that Malaysian Airlines plane that disappeared out of the sky? Uh Uh-huh. They never found the plane, never found the black box, never found the bodies. It literally, a giant, giant plane disappeared. Like the show Manifest and nobody questions it today. I literally probably think about that plane three times a day. Like where the fuck did it go? So why do you think that stands out to you so much? Why is that something that pulls on your heartstrings so much? Because if you deconstruct it, there is a team of insanely skilled publicists and crisis management publicists specifically working at that corporate level who spun a narrative so digestible to the vast majority of the population that no one thinks about it other than the people who lost family members. They never, they find random plane parts on the coast of Madagascar every year and a half. They don't know if it's that plane. And I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I want like why there was a documentary on Boeing on Netflix about maybe four or five months ago. They mentioned three other planes. They didn't mention the Malaysian Airlines plane. Like no one talks about it. And it literally disappeared. 
the people behind it who like their their goal was to literally be Olivia Pope and like make the problem go away. Made okay, the problem. So see, I would never even think about that or realize that, but you're looking at it from like the PR standpoint and what they did and how they created that. Yeah. Because I never like my brain just doesn't go there. People don't think like, like more normal people don't. It's not something that people should think about because that would make us question so many things in our life that it's like that doesn't make sense. That's why whenever I see something go down, I'm like, who's behind it? What's happening here? Because that's not right. So interesting. Okay, so that made you want to go into PR. Yeah, and I wanted to do PR at that level, that kind of PR. Okay, did you want to be the person that made the story go away? Yeah, I wanted to be like the fixer. Like, if you've have you seen the show Scandal? No. Oh my god, you have to I've watch. I've seen it. a lot of shows though. I have not watched that one. It is so good. Olivia Pope is like who I wanted to be. Like she is a DC fixer, basically. Like she's a lawyer, but she's the person that comes in and they're like, hey, secretary of this state was just caught with a prostitute at the hotel. There's a reporter outside. Like, what do we do? And she makes it all go away. It's a Shonda Rhimes show. So it's very Grey's Anatomy-ish. Like every, love it. Like every episode is a problem, but overarching storylines. And I was like, that's just so interesting. And there's so many things like that happen and that the show goes on. And I just love the idea of that. And that's the kind of publicity that I originally thought I wanted to do. Okay. So then clearly that's not what you do do. Yeah. So let's talk about that transition. Tell us how that happened. Yeah. So after I quit us weekly, it was like February of 2020. And I was like, the literally the last event I did was the Oscars. And then I went to Europe for a little bit, came home. Actually, no, I went to Europe. I was going to stay in London for a while because the year before I did a course at Condé Nast as a college in London. And I did a little course there over the summer and I was obsessed with it. And I was, I just want to stay in London for a while. And so I went to London and then started hearing all these rumors about this sickness. And my mom's like, you need to come home right now. I'm like, I'm good. Like the worst that can happen is like, I quarantine here for 30 days. Like, wow, stuck in London for 30 days. Awful. And she's like, no, no, no. Like you need to get home. And so came home and COVID hit. And it was like, the perfect storm because I had literally just quit my job a month ago. And I was just sort of there and didn't really know what to do and was bored. And so I started talking to my friend who's this makeup artist. And she's like, you should just do like freelance PR for like, I'll just give you like my, some of my clients who like need help with stuff. I'm like, okay. The only PR thing I did was like one internship in college that I absolutely hated. They taught me how to do like media lists and how to pitch and the really basic things of PR, but like I never really took a PR class traditionally. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. You but what I on built a business in something that you did not study and have not been doing for the past four years. Never did a lick of I PR. I love that so much because I think so much of learning and becoming good at something and just like learning as you do. You can't learn it and then do it. Keep going. I am so excited for this story. Okay, so at home, you're going to branch into something you've never really done. Spoiler alert, now you have this whole media company built on this, but okay, take us through it. But it is crazy when you, who the hell would have trusted me? If you asked, if I was trying to find a publicist and the credentials where you were never a publicist before and you've never taken a publicist class, like, would I hire you? Like, right, because I have to imagine that's not a market where there's only a few of you, right? Like, It's so freaking competitive. And so 
I was like, okay, well, here's what I do know. I don't know much about traditional publicity, but I do know how to reverse engineer the process because I was a reporter. And when you write for a magazine like Us Weekly that drives 500 million UVMs a month, like you understand what drives press and what doesn't. I would literally sift through my inbox every morning and there were like maybe literally 400 emails by like 10 in the morning. I can get through them in 12 minutes. And if you look on Us Weekly's Instagram literally right now, you'll probably see Kim Kardashian in three different rows within the last three days. They write about the same people. And the problem was I would go through my inbox and there were so many stories that I personally thought were like really freaking great, but there was no way that I was ever going to convince my editor to cover them. These stories were being about founders, podcasters, creators were being pitched to me in a way that was so archaic. And these people were working with publicists who also represented Oscar-winning talent, Grammy-winning musicians. It was like they weren't working with somebody who understood their niche and like what publications they belonged in. And it was so evident to me that like people were just mass pitching. Like they would send me a press release for someone I've never heard of. The only reason you should send a press release is if you work for MAC Cosmetics and there's so many beauty outlets out there under the sun and you want to target all of them and you don't want to email all of them individually. Send out a press blast because you're MAC Cosmetics. You don't need to explain what you are. We know what you are. Congratulations. I probably send three press releases a year only if a client wants it as like a footprint of their company, but press releases don't do shit. So I knew some things. I knew like trinkets of like what worked and what didn't work from being a reporter. And that kind of drove me to use that knowledge and to kind of just like deconstruct it. Okay. So you were at home and you decided like, I'm going to make a company and you named it. You... I wish it was that easy. It was not that easy. It was not that simple at all. What did you do? I was literally sitting up. I was living with my mom at the time. I graduated college. I was like going home. And I literally was like, okay, well, these two people trust me like with their stuff. Why don't I just start? So one of them, first two clients, one of them was, I don't know if you know the show Dirty John. Oh, it was yeah. A, yeah, like an anthology series on Netflix. Not an anthology. Yeah, I think it was. And um, the one that's made after the podcast. Yes. So the girl who stabbed her father or stepfather and killed him in self-defense, she was my first client. And random. Did you know her from Us Weekly? No, I met her through my makeup artist friend, Kat, who was like, people come in her chair and she's like, oh my God, you need to talk to Emily. Okay. So this girl, Tara, her name is Tara, hired me. It, it didn't end well because you learn a lot. I didn't have contracts. I didn't have... My email was, how did I start? I, I literally think I decided to name my business. So I was like, Emily Blair, like, oh, my initials are EBM, Emily Blair Marcus, like Emily Blair Media. Okay. Like Emily Blair Media at gmail.com. I didn't okay. have a website. What I did though was like, I knew what worked. And I was like, okay, like Tara, like the anniversary of her stepdad's, you know, self-defense killing, whatever is like coming up in August okay, let me pitch people. Let me see a people who covers true crime. Tara should write like an essay for people and like do a whole thing about years later where she is now. Pitched it. I was like, hey, loved your story about, I know it works. Like I'm not, see this press release about the anniversary of like, I was loved your story on so-and-so. This is what I resonated with. This is what I didn't. This is exactly why I'm reaching out to you. I have Tara Newell, da-da-da-da-da, shub, blah, 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 blah. And like, it just worked. And I was starting to get high level placements for people who have had zero press in their entire lives. And it just worked. And the next girl who was sent my way by Kat, this makeup artist, was named Sunshine. She is a sound bath healer model, doesn't really have many credentials other than that, was getting her press. And then first real client came from Sunshine because Sunshine was dating Sebastian Legree, 
who is the founder of Legree Fitness. I don't know if you're familiar with Legree Pilates. Yeah. So that was my first like thing. And like I represented Sebastian during the pandemic where every reporter under the sun only wanted to write about how to stay fit at home, how to do wellness at home, how to work out at home. Uh And so when you have someone like Sebastian Legree available for interviews about that, he was everywhere. He was in the New York Times, Vogue, Harbors Star, Forbes, Entrepreneur. And I'm like, oh my God. And I didn't have systems that allowed me to like really get nitpicky about the reporters I was using. I did everything manually. Like I was searching like, okay, who covers at-home workouts already? Like who's the person to, to pitch it shape? I was getting really creative. I was following everybody on Instagram because I had a check mark when I worked at Us Weekly. Like I was just trying to think of what I would have wanted if I was a reporter. I had a client and like, how do you, it's so freaking competitive. Like there's so many celebrity trainers. How do you make your celebrity trainer matter yeah. the most? And so I also knew the game. I knew that like, okay, at Us Weekly, if you ever see an article that's like, you need to buy this coaster. This coaster is the best coaster ever. Fuck yeah. am I reading an article about coasters? Here's yeah. why. The person who represents the coaster brand may also have some really interesting information about Taylor Swift and could tell the reporter at Us Weekly, hey, I know for a fact, the grapevine or whatever, my friend who does A&R at Sony Music, that Taylor Swift is going to be releasing an album in October. It's going to be like about this guy. Um, it One of the songs is going to be called Midnight's. I just know that. Great. Us Weekly posts an article, Taylor Swift coming out with new music, source says, blah, 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 blah. As a favor to that source, now there's a whole article about coaster company, this source owns. And it's like, I'm not going to be buying the shit they're telling me to buy anymore. No, it's all a fucking ecosystem. I knew that. So it's like, you may not buy everything that goes viral on TikTok. Nope, you literally can't. And it's all like a game. It's literally like you just need to know how to play inside baseball. So like, I knew that I was like, if I had a client that was like a little bit of a reach, I still had so many sources when I was a reporter that I could be like, I mean, my best, was like, I can't believe I'm saying this on a podcast. Two of my best friends are also best friends with Army Hammer. That's still something that I fucking think about sometimes. There's like a lot of connections. Did you do anything with that story? Oh, like if I hear things, like I have to be really careful because I can't be like, hey, Army Hammer is going to be at this restaurant at this time. Like, da 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 da, he's dating this person. But like, I hear things, how he's doing or how his kids are or like, if how the case is going. I may call Carly sometimes, be like, oh my God, hey, da 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 da. And then all of a sudden, like, who's his publicist? Because that sounds like an intense. Okay, they all dropped him. All dropped him. So he's like, just like on his own. Just on his own, floating through the abyss. Yeah. I mean, sorry. I know. I know. Right? 100%. Uh, so for Sebastian, how did you get him to go with you? And then I think this is a really challenging thing for entrepreneurs. How did you know what to charge? Oh my God, that's such a good question. So with Sebastian, it was literally all this girl sunshine. Like she convinced him. She's like, I'm going to get Sebastian to do it. She had like a lot of influence on him for better or for worse. They're no longer together. I'm no longer working with either of them. But she literally just told him he was going to do it and he did it. It just worked out really, really well. And that led me to like getting a lot of other clients. But at the beginning, I was so unsure what to do. I was like, I think I'm going to do it hourly. I think I'm going to do, what did I say? Like 20 hours a month, $2,000 a month. That's going to be that. And then with Sebastian, Sunshine was like, okay, like do 40 hours for Sebastian and like $4,000 a month. Okay, sure. Why the fuck not? And then at that point, that's when I realized I wasn't going to go to USC because I was like, okay, I have Sunshine, I have Tara. I'm and I'm already Sunshine. doing it. I'm already doing it. Exactly. I was like, this is what, like $6,000, $8,000 a month. 
going in my pocket because I have no expenses to live at home with my mom during the pandemic. Why would I pay USC? How old are you right now at this point? 23. 22 okay. or 23. Yeah. Let's not even talk about what I was doing at that. <laughs> no, but, like, not, but that's normal. Like I, part of me wishes I had those experiences. Cause I was just like, I can see that, but you'll have it like later on. And you know what? Like the beauty in the story is you had intuitive feelings. And from what I'm hearing, like you followed them, you were so young and you knew to trust your gut. And I'm so into that. And I love that so much because that is a scary ass thing to do when it doesn't really make sense in your head, but it feels right in your, it's still scary. It's still so freaking scary. And like, people don't like, does it ever know yourself so well? What? I said, does it ever stop being scary? No, I mean, oh my God, no. But the thing is, I just, I know it's not the end of the world. Like, and I think that's like my crisis management background. I have girls who like, oh my God, what do we do? Da-da-da-da-da. Oh my God, I can't believe this happened. I'm like, it's literally going to be fine. Like, it's going to be fine. Like, I see it in like a lot of younger entrepreneurs too. And I say that and I'm 25, like I'm a young entrepreneur. For example, like I see so many people working so hard and hustling and so nervous, worried about like the little things. It's going to be fine. Let me tell you the first thing I learned. Money can fix nine out of 10 problems in business. If they're... The amount of things I've solved that literally feel like the end of the world, ice age level bad that I've paid a few thousand dollars out of pocket for and it's over, tons. And it's like, that's the cost of doing business. So if my team, if there's a huge monumental chaotic problem that you're going to lose sleep over, can we solve it with money? Do I take a loss and I have $1,500 less in my bank account this month? Great. I will do, I will say yes every time so I can put that to bed, go on with my life. Interesting. Do you think that's in all industries or just your industry? I don't know. I mean, maybe it's difficult in other industries, but like for us, for example, like here's something that just happened about a few months ago. We had a client. So we represent this swimwear brand. They're amazing. And one of their celebrity ambassadors, we had booked her for a Maxim cover. And during the shoot, she had shot with other swimwear brands also. And Maxim wanted to use all the swimmer brands, not just our client in this shoot. And our client was freaking out because they're like, okay, well, she's our ambassador. Why is she wearing other swim brands for this cover shoot? Like, this is confusing. Our bosses are going to be so freaking upset. It was really bad. And I was like, okay, well, we don't have enough other pictures from that shoot. What am I going to do? And so I found photos from like a previous campaign that she had done with them with a different photographer. And I was like, okay. I need to do two things here. I need to convince the photographer that shot the Maxim cover to let me use photos that aren't his for this cover. And then I need to call the agent of that old photo shoot, like give me the usage rights to use those for the magazine too. And then I need to convince the editor-in-chief to let me do all of this. And I literally had like hours because they're about to close the magazine. So first I called the photographer that did the new photo shoot. And I was like, hey, I've worked with him before. And actually he owed me a few favors because he has colossally messed up in the past. And I was like, hey, I need you to let me use two photographers on this shoot, share credit with someone else. I will give you, I'll pay you for it because I know that I don't want you to feel taken advantage. And he's like, yeah, no problem. It's fine. Great. Next, called the other photographer that did a campaign with this girl years ago, but still using the same brand. I tried emailing his agent. She didn't answer. I found her number by like typing in her number on Cash App and then like her number, her like name came up. I like did all these weird things to like find her number. Called her. I was like, Hey, like, I know you don't know me. And she, she literally had COVID at home. And she was like, what the fuck are you? Like, what is this about? And I was like, I'm so sorry. Like, we're just dealing with a situation where I literally have to turn this around in an hour. What would it take to get him to give me the usage right? She's like, oh, like $500 a photo. 
So basically I had to pay $2,000 a photographer, the first one, $2,500 to the next one, and then convince the editor-in-chief to let me do all this. And it all worked out. And I literally just used like a budget from the retainer of our client, who's my retainers have significantly increased since the Legree days. And I'm just like, you know what? Okay. So this month we made less from them, but guess what? They're really, really happy with this maximum cover. It's a great testament to our scope of work that we can produce a maximum cover. And the show goes on. And I'm going to put my phone away now, go on a date, enjoy my night and not think twice about it. I think I grew up in a family where my mom and my grandparents were always just nothing is the end of the world if money can... Fi- and I don't think money should fix all your problems. Like 100% not. Personal life stuff, do not try this at home. If you're an entrepreneur, there's a problem that and you have like enough income to make it go away with money and move on to the next. Yeah. Do yeah. it. Well, and I think you have to spend money to make money too. And a lot of it isn't just about like the money you're bringing in, but the reputation that you're building and that brings in future money, right? Down the line. So yeah, I think a smart decision. So, okay. So you're at what point did word start spreading about you and you started getting more and more clients. And then at some point you're deciding like, I can't do this all on my own. I'm going to hire my first employee. Yeah, something like that. Like in COVID? It was all in COVID. I like that you said to like spend money to make money because I was doing PR manually, like searching reporters now. And now I pay about 15 grand a year for a system called Muckrack that literally does all of that for you. And like, you can't spend your time on things that other people can do for you if you're going to put your mental energy into growing your business. 100%. 100%. Have to spend money. I was telling my friend today, he was like, started a PR firm. Cause I'm, I'm all my best friends are publicists. Like I'm, I really believe in like collaboration over competition. And like I was telling her today, I'm like, oh my God, wait, hold on, stop. I love that so much. I just went to an event a few weeks ago and I brought my clinical director with me to introduce her to people. And we went in and there were a lot of like bigger names in my industry in the room. And they were like, oh, who trained you in this area and who trained you in this area? And I was telling them and they were like, oh, our program's better than their program. And then there was like, just a lot of that going on. And I left that room and I looked at her and I was like, we will never talk about other people in our profession that way. Like our profession is so divided and competitive because it's so small and niche. And I just thought like, never, like never, like that is not what we're going to be about. Like I will, there's so many practice owners. I own a private practice and they're like, Oh, I can't share that information with you. I'm not going to share. I'm like, oh my gatekeeping. god, gatekeeping will be the death of all of us. Like, if there's a publicist that's like, hey, um, do you have the editor at Cosmo? Like, I, I like really love the piece that you did with your client. I'm like, yeah, let me put you in an email chain with him. That's You'll literally what I that. do. And like, because it doesn't take anything away from me. And I think that like, when you put that energy out there, that you're not threatened by anyone else, the universe gives it back. I'll, sorry, oh, I'm going to ask you. I couldn't agree with you more. I think it's all about what we're energetically putting out and that'll be a struggle with every single day. Like right now, there's some stuff going on in my business that is some scary shit that a couple of years ago would really mentally fuck me up. And I am just like, I can't, like, I can't, like, I have to trust this process. I have to let it unfold. I, and maybe- it's going to be hard. Being an entrepreneur is really freaking hard. It's not, it's, it's so okay. Hard. It's an uphill battle. and There's no guide to be like, oh, what do I do if this happens? Like, it's literally all about your gut. I And I've been really screwed over. Like my mentor, literally, actually, the reason I don't work with Sunshine and Sebastian anymore is because my mentor like poached them. Like he, like the guy who I literally like relied on for advice and for, I knew him since I was at Us Weekly, like one of my oldest, dearest friends convinced them to like leave me and go with him. And it was just 
and didn't even tell me. I literally found so shitty. It was awful. It was horrible. You don't have any of them in your life. I I love that you said mentor because I feel like, and I've had mentors and I have one right now. I feel like every single person I've talked to so far on this podcast, like the running theme is everybody growing their career and looking to be an entrepreneur and build a big business. Everyone has a mentor. Oh, 100%. Yeah. What I want to be able to give people is like mentoring on that emotional and mental component. Because I feel like anyone could be like, put your money here, hire this person, whatever. But like for me as an entrepreneur, and I don't know if it was the same for you because you sound very resilient, but like it was the emotional and the mental stuff that really like fucked me up along the way. That was way harder for me than the rest of it. I agree. And like, it's interesting. I feel like that's not a relatable thing for most people. Like for me, knock on wood, like everything worked out really freaking well. Like I started a business during the pandemic, psychotic. It grew 500% in 2021. It kept growing. And for me, it's just, it was the mental and emotional turmoil for sure. That's why, like, well, I have a therapist who's basically like a career coach and like I am obsessed with her, but also I soak up information and feedback and advice like a sponge. Like I am the least prideful person in any room. Like if someone tells me something that I think will improve my life or my business, like please tell me. Like I've been on first dates before where guys literally tell me stuff and I'm like, just fucking tell me. I'll take the good and leave the rest. That's what my grandpa used to always say. If there's like something in there that I think is valuable, thank fucking God you told me. Like, cause I never would have known. Like I've never done this before. I've never started five startups in Silicon Valley. Like I literally am like a girl from Woodland Hills who decided to do something during the pandemic and it worked out. Tell me everything you possibly can. And so I think having that mindset is like, really good to emotionally. I, I think you're so successful just from having this conversation with you and we've never met. Like your energy is amazing. You're following your intuitions. Like, I just don't feel like you're going to go wrong. Like, I don't feel like you can go wrong when you're intuitively like doing what inspires you and lights you up and you're putting good back into the world. Do you know what I mean? Thank you. Yeah, no, I hope I am. I mean, like sometimes the publicist thing in me is like, I'm twisting situations or I know I'm the bad guy and it's, you have to kind of like wrestle with those demons sometimes too. If you're really just intentional about what you're doing and like you, at the end of the day, I also have the mindset that clients will come and go, but my team is, they're like my children. I wake up every day and I'm like, how can I bring more money to the business to like pay them more? Like I want everybody to be making six figures, like not even kidding. Like it's no fun if I'm the only one that's having a good time. So like whenever I can pay them more, I do. I love that. So you said clients come and go. When a client goes, does that sting? Does that hurt? Like, does that feel like rejection for you? Or you're just like, it's fine. Like, that's kind of part of the business. How do you emotionally handle that? Great question. I strive for longevity in like everything. I want my team to be there long. Like, I have retention bonuses. Like, every year you're here, you get automatically paid more. I've implemented a lot of systems, try to keep people as long as I can. Um, I don't know how to do that. My uncle taught me. He's an entrepreneur. Originally, I was, do I give them equity? But that doesn't even, that's not even real until you like sell. Like, how do I get people to stay? Also, I call it this a startup. I literally, like the amount of money in my bank account has significantly like changed since 2020. And it's like, my assistant was with me when my first assistant was with me when she was barely making anything. She's my head of operations now. She's been with me for like over two years and I'm going to keep paying her more and more money. Because she like she gets it. Like I don't have a thing where it's like, okay, like every year we'll do yearly reviews. I'll see if, if I have more money in the bank and like things are changing and your role is growing, you will be paid more. And like my team knows that. So 
But yeah, back to the like the if it stings, like a hundred percent. I've had clients leave for various reasons, and like I remember when there was a day where I was like, I've never had a client leave that changes, and like I have had clients leave because they're on TV shows that go on hiatus and they don't need a publicist for a few months, and it's like, okay, that's X amount of money, like stop. That's why it's so hard to know like when to hire someone or when. So I have three to six month contracts. It's all a sliding scale. I've had clients leave on really bad terms, where literally like I can't collect from them. Like they just disappear. Oh, that's the, I'm literally dealing with that right now with a client who like, I literally has told me so many times, like I'm getting this done. I'm going to then just disappears. I've had clients leave because their expectations are too insane. And like, we really can't meet them. And I'm really transparent. Like I've had clients sign and the next day they're like, okay, like, do you think I can do an interview with Forbes? Ah. One second. No one knows who you are. If your expectations are so insanely high that I know that not only am I going to meet them, but no other publicist I work with is going to meet them, I'm not the person for you. So yeah, I mean, like I've had clients leave for various reasons. I've also like bent over backwards to save accounts that I really want. I have a great referral system. Like anyone who refers a client to me who's already a client gets 10% off their retainer the next month. So So their retainers are monthly. It's a six-month contract. And so... Yeah, back to your question also about just what to charge people. Like, it's also a sliding scale. Like, I ask other firms. I kind of just like... What? Do other firms tell you? Sometimes. Or like, basically, two of my mentors right now own an SEO agency. And we have shared clients. And they, like, tell me, like, what they know. Because they have, like, 300 clients. Some of their clients are, like, huge celebrity-owned, like, beauty brands. So, like, here's what X firm is charging them who works with them. And, like, so... I kind of hear through the grapevine and then you experiment. Like you tell someone, Hey, it's going to be like $8,000 monthly for six months. And they're like, I thought it was going to be more like six. You're like, okay, I can do six. No worries. Done. You kind of just play the game and see what people will do at the beginning, at least. But now I have a very set. This is our talent rate. This is our brands rate. And I try to stay as close to that as I can. I fluctuate a little bit if I really, really want an account. Like there's an account right now that I've been trying to sign since literally I started my company in 2020. They're like my dream client. I'm trying to win them over. And I literally told them like, I will do like three months of PR for you for like whatever you want to pay me just to prove that I know exactly what I'm doing. And then you can leave your firm, your other firm and come to me and like, we'll talk. There's clients that I literally will be like, you can wave hi to me and that's fine. So yeah, I love it. I love that you, you're such a go-getter. You're just like, it's grit, right? It's energy. Don't stop. You can't stop, right? To build a business. It's just constant. What's your sign? Cancer. I'm really cancery also. Like I really cry and get emotional. <laughs> I'm like a cancer, cancer Virgo. What's yours? I'm an Aries, Gemini, Libra. Oh, okay. That's Gemini emotion. That's me. Like I feel everything way too heavy, way too strong. My Aries is just like full fledged ahead. I don't know how to like take a break or patient. What's that? Like, oh, I have an idea. I can't think. My best friend calls me a dog with a bone. <laughs> Like it's all I can think about once I get an idea. I'm learning more and more about like what that Libra means. Well, actually, it's all about like, I think there's a lot to do with like beauty and aesthetic. And when I graduated high school, I wanted to become a makeup artist. I just wanted to desperately. I wanted to be in that field or like home design. Can't you tell? (laughs) I love doing And my mom was like, you can do all that if you go to college first familiar story. So I go to school and because I'm an Aries, I'm like, well, I'm going to pick this and I'm going to get my bachelor's. I'm going to go straight into my master's. I got my master's when I was 25. I got married a month later and I went to work a month after that. 
And I'm reading this article about being a rising Libra. And it says this person would flourish in a career of home aesthetic or makeup artist as a makeup artist. And I sent that to my mom and I was like, see, see, I knew what I wanted to do, but I wasn't smart like you, Emily. I didn't follow my intuition. I love what I do now and it worked out. I did know. And I my I wanted to please my parents. Well, I mean, I did too. It's really, really hard to follow your intuition when you have no money. And like you're literally and you live under someone else's roof. Like I literally like convinced like I so my dad isn't in my life, but I like after freshman year of college, literally. And so like I went home literally the reason I even was allowed to transfer, like once I figured out I got in, I was like, this is so random. I found out I had this like third cousin who lived in Sacramento who had a private plane and they were going home for Passover, the Jewish holiday. And they're like, do you want to come with us? I'm like, fuck yeah, I want to come with you. So I caught a free ride home, surprised my mom for Passover. My grandparents, bless their heart, both of them are, both of them are gone now, but they were like my safety net and like yeah. financially like would never want me to be unhappy. I had a dinner that I planned with them and my mom. And I was like, hey guys, like, let's do a little like round table chat. I'm depressed as fuck at Davis. Can't stay there. There's a tour tomorrow morning at Chapman. Mom, like, please, 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 like, take me on this tour. And I convinced her. Like, she brought me there. Like, I ended up getting a scholarship through something. Like, wasn't still it's a crazy fucking expensive school, but like my grandparents helped. I like had to like get on my hands and knees and beg because I didn't, my gut was telling me I needed to be there, but my pockets were like, oh, you have maybe $400 in savings? Like, how the fuck are you going to do this? Uh Uh-huh. Well, I think a lot of people, because it's safer and it makes more sense is when your pockets are saying you can't, we don't even try because we're like, we can't. It's true. Right? 100%. It's easier to just be like, well, this is what I want, but like, this is my fucking situation. So this is the situation I'm going to continue to live in because pushing past that that's hard right it's so hard that's why i think it was really circumstantial for me is like i literally started a business in my bedroom when i had zero expenses like that's such a rare time like and i had a few thousand dollars saved up for us weekly whatever but i didn't have any expenses like nothing like i literally was like making money and not spending it at all and that was like such a rare time like most people who start businesses are like have to pay rent have to buy groceries have to live normal lives, I really didn't. And it was just very, very, very lucky. That is lucky. And I think it's great that you acknowledge that and it worked out well for you. But you were also like, you know, at the age where a lot of people are doing that and you took advantage of the situation and you hustled and you built something. And I think that's incredible. And now you employ how many women? 11. All women. All women. (laughs) All women. Yep. I'm like, should I like hire a guy? I'm like, I don't, I never, I never do. You know what? My business is all women too, except my husband joined me during the pandemic. So there's him and then it's all women. And I, I would hire a guy if the right person interviewed for a position. And I think that'd be a cool energy to bring in. But like, I also love that it's women. Yeah. How many women do you have? Oh, I think. Right now we have like 16. 16. Oh my God. That's amazing. It's great. But I, it's great. We have a great team. I'm very fortunate right now, but it took a lot of, like you said, like getting burned. Like I definitely feel like there's been a lot of that over the years and deciding to like keep going and not 
you know, there's a lot of times where I think it's easier to just be like, fuck it. Oh my this God. Way too bad. It's not even about like the financial aspect. It's just about like the pain. The emotions and like the, when you're so emotionally invested in your own business, it's all consuming, like for better or for worse. You can't shut your brain off either. Yeah. It's crazy. It's, I was telling my husband this morning because we have someone that's leaving the business. She's not going to be with us any longer after a couple of weeks. And I was like, I know I'm not, we have a clinical director that does a lot and I've been able to have like that boundary removal. But I was like, it still hurts. Like I'm in high school and someone's telling me you're not good enough. And it's not about that, right? Like they just have a different life choice, whatever. They want to explore a different path, but it's still like, it's my business. So that's why I was asking you about rejection. Like it's still... I've so been there. I know exactly the pain you're talking about. It's like a very unique feeling of being burned. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't even... I don't know if like someone leaving... There's been like burns. But someone leaving, I don't know if I'm being burned, but I'm being rejected. I'm being told like your company is not what I want. And I'm always like, how do I make this better without sacrificing the business being able to like grow and thrive and just following that line. I think it's just like a really big head trip to be 100%. a business. And you work so hard and you know like what you do to create the best possible company culture ever. And it's still someone's like, yeah, fuck that. Like it's yeah, yeah like that's not my love language. And then you can't please everybody. You can't please everybody. It's really, you know, and I, I think every day I'm trying to be like not so emotionally attached to the outcome because the pain is... It's you're talking about cancer. Like I overthink everything. Like I overanalyze everything. I'm like, if I do this, this will happen. This will happen. That will happen. This will happen. And it's just like, well, fuck it. I have to do it. And it's like, yeah, you can't like, you have to know like you're not going to be for everyone. And I think I've learned that the hard... I've done a lot of growing up over the last few years. Like I... COVID kind of did that, don't you think? Like I feel like that's really where my journey of self-reflection really, really started. Because I was like, this is not going to work. Like I can't live like this. A hundred percent. Yeah. So it it forces you to grow up. I, Emily, you are quite an inspiration. I was graduating college when I was your age. For you. (laughs) I was very abnormal. Very abnormal. Well, to be where you are now at 25, your career, I just know is going to have so many like beautiful like growth patterns. What you're doing now, I highly doubt you'll be doing the exact same thing in five years, 10 years, 15 years. I think you're going to be covering that airplane story for sure. If that's what you want to be doing. (laughs) I think you're going to just, the sky's the limit. You know so much and you're just getting started. Thank you. And like, I have a lot more to learn. Like I literally like, there's a lot more I want to do. I'm I'm just excited. I like, I'm just really grateful that I get to wake up every day and like, I'm excited about what I do. And like, I am not working behind a cubicle at a job I hate, like getting ready to go home. I'm like wildly obsessed with every day, even as much as it stresses me out or as much as I'm, I don't know what's going to happen or whatever. Like I still love it. And like, I think that that's like the biggest gift. I love that. And I love your energy and I love your story. And I'm so grateful that you came to share it with me. I feel like I could definitely have a part two with you because I feel like we haven't even anytime skimmed the surface. And I feel like there's like so much more to talk about. So we'll probably end up doing a part two because anytime I'm always here and I'm so honored you like wanted me to come on. Yes, I love it. Thank you so much and have a great rest of your day. Who knows what it will hold.
Who knows? I gotta turn my phone on now and get to going. <laughs> all right. All right. Thanks so much, Emily. Appreciate right. you. Talk to you soon. Okay, bye. Thank you all so much for listening to today's episode. If you like what you heard and you want to hear more, please rate, review, and follow along on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find out more about me at www.jessieboyce.com and follow along at Facebook at Jesse Boyce or on Instagram at, at Jesse Boyce. See you again next week with another great episode.